Welcome to the Diversity Hygiene Academy podcast series. This is podcast number seven on criteria for selecting a disinfectant. My name is Van Walter, and I'm the host today. With me today is Jim Goche. As a part of the Diversity Hygiene Academy, you'll have access to some slides on the topic, a video recording, an audio recording, and a quick reference narrative on the content. There are many different tools for you to use. Please feel free to sit back, listen, and learn. A podcast about cleaning? Diversity Hygiene Academy podcast series. So welcome, Jim. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Ben. Glad to be here. Yeah, so today we're going to be discussing the topic of how to select a disinfectant and kind of, you know, what goes into that because there's a lot of different options out there. So when you are looking at a new disinfectant, you know, what kind of things should you consider in a disinfectant? You're totally right. There are so many different kinds of disinfectants out there, all kinds of different considerations that you probably want to consider. And I, I look at really four or five main factors to consider. One is what are you trying to kill? So the kill claims, how long does it take for it to kill those organisms? How safe is the product? Is the product easy to use? And then there's some other factors that I try to look at also when I consider a new disinfectant. Yeah, can you discuss a little bit more for us kill claims specifically? This is, uh, first of all, I mean, what, what do you mean by kill? And then second of all, um, you know, there's all kinds of different types of facilities. And, and depending on the facility type, I bet, I, I would imagine the kill claims would be different that different types of facilities might be looking for. Is that, is that true? Yeah, that's exactly it. So the kill claim, what we're generally referring to is what microorganisms does the product kill? Because there are some products out there labeled as disinfectants that may only be effective against certain viruses and certain bacteria. And then there's other disinfectants that are a little more broad spectrum. They will kill more and different types of bacteria, different kinds of viruses. So a lot of it depends on where you're using your disinfectant. If you're working in, say, a daycare, you may be much more worried about bacteria that are spread by feces because you have to change the children or the viruses that cause a lot of the issues that we see in daycares and even like long-term care. When you have that vomiting and diarrhea bug that goes through a building, that's generally a very hard to kill virus. So you want to find out you know, if this is a seasonal kind of thing that you've got to worry about. The other thing is some of the cold viruses. Uh, there's the one that we call rhinovirus that causes about 50% of all the coughs and colds that we see. It's actually very hard to kill. Now, if you're actually trying to disinfect in a restaurant, your focus may be much more on organisms that you might find on people's skin or in the respiratory secretions, so that when they're talking at a table uh, and you disinfect that table if you feel you need to do that, then you may want something that has a different kill claim on it. The same with hotels. Right. If you're, if I think with this new go forward post uh, SARS, we're going to see a lot of hotels saying that they've actually disinfected the room. So they're going to be looking at a disinfectant that kills bugs that you would normally find out there. Now, the harder to kill organisms, like I said, that rhinovirus and the norovirus are very difficult. If you're looking at a disinfectant for your gym, if you run a, a gymnasium for the public to come into, or if you're part of a school and you've got to worry about the shower rooms, your focus may be much more on something like athlete's foot. 
So you need a fungus claim on your disinfectant. So a lot of this boils down to what are you worried about in your facility? What are the bugs that keep you awake at night? Yeah, very good. Good, good points, all of them. You know, one other thing that comes up is very, very frequently people are using uh, disinfectants and they think that they're disinfecting, but just because they're using a disinfectant, they might not be disinfecting, if that makes sense. And, and some of that comes down to contact time or wet contact time. How can this affect what, what disinfectant you choose? Well, that's a really good point. Uh, I travel for a living for the company, and I spend a lot of time in hotels, and I spend a lot of time in restaurants. And it still surprises me to watch in a restaurant when they bust the table next to me, somebody comes out with a bottle of probably a disinfectant and goes spray, 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 spray on the table and wipes it off immediately, usually with a dirty cloth. So the amount of time that the disinfectant had, the contact time on that table, is probably less than 15 seconds. And your disinfectants all come with a set number of minutes required to kill the microorganisms that are on the label. In some cases, this may be a variable time limit that you will have. So if you're trying to kill easy-to-kill bacteria and easy-to-kill viruses, the label may say it has to stay wet for, let's say, five minutes or three minutes or one minute. If there's some harder stuff on it, some disinfectants will have a different time. Now, this varies by parts of the country. I know the state of California will say if your disinfectant has different times on it, you have to go with the longest time regardless. Other states will indicate, you know, what are you trying to kill and what are you worried about? Now, my big problem is some of our older disinfectants, especially the ones that are what we like to call quats, they're based on a quaternary ammonium compound, just a chemical substance, but they are listed as having a 10-minute wet contact time. And as I came into the field of microbiology, which is my background, and infection control, that was the standard. Most of your disinfectants were 10 minutes contact time. Then back in 2003, when we had SARS, the first accelerated hydrogen peroxide product came out. Uh, it was a different chemistry using hydrogen peroxide that had been stabilized, and it had a five-minute contact time. And that was a, a world of difference to us. Trying to keep a surface wet for 10 minutes um, compared to only five minutes was amazing. Then we got a little smarter with the chemistry. So now you see some um, disinfectant wipes uh, that will have a three-minute contact time. A lot of your store-bought disinfectants that you get at uh, your local pharmacy or big box store may have a four-minute contact time. And then the newer chemistries that are out there with a one-minute contact time. And that means you have to keep the surface wet for that length of time, the wet contact time, in order to say you've got the kill. So with a 10-minute product, if it dries in two and a half minutes, to get the kill that you're seeing on that label, you would then have to re-wet it, wait another two and a half minutes, re-wet it, wait another two and a half minutes, we're up to seven and a half, because I know you're doing the math, uh, and then wet it again. So you might actually be wetting the surface four times to achieve disinfection. So just spraying a disinfectant on a surface and wiping it doesn't mean that you've disinfected. That was a good question. Um, you know, in one of our one of our other podcasts in the series, we discussed disinfectant technologies, meaning like different disinfectant chemistries. And when you look at these different chemistries, you know, you're talking about uh, some of them that have chlorine bleach, some of them that have parasitic acid. I, I, I got to think that uh, uh, components might be a little hazard to people. So that might be one of the criteria that uh, can affect uh, selection of a disinfection. What what what, what thoughts do you have on that, Jim? Well, for sure. With a disinfectant, you want it to be as safe as possible while killing the microorganisms that you're concerned of. So a lot of what I like to tell people is 
you know, where were you using this? And if I'm going to be using this around my grandson or have someone use this disinfectant around my grandson at a daycare, I want to be a product that as it evaporates, it's not putting any kind of um, stuff, you know, for want of a better word, in the air. And we know now with research that some disinfectants that are based with the quaternary ammonium compounds, the quats, Sodium hypochlorite or the bleach products are known asthmagens, meaning if someone has asthma, it can precipitate it. And they're also, they can stimulate a reaction in some people where they may not go into a full-blown asthma, but it bothers them. So I know down in California, uh, the city of San Francisco came out saying, you will not use bleach or quaternary ammonium compounds in schools and daycares, full stop. Um, And they recommended using things like the improved hydrogen peroxide products because they don't cause asthma in children. I watched my own nephew go through this where my brother finally noted that, geez, every time Nick comes home from school, uh, he starts to feel better. And he complains that all day at school, he had runny eyes, stuffy noses. And so my brother went into the school, found out that the disinfectant they used every night on the label said rinse after use. And they weren't doing it. So he was being exposed to some chemical that was bothering him. And when the janitorial staff started to actually do that rinsing step, all of uh, my nephew's signs and symptoms went, a bit, uh, went away. So like in, in a university college where you've got more adults running around that um, you know, know how to handle things and they're better at their own personal hygiene and stuff like that, you may be able to use a different product. But there's also a lot of research out there that if people are afraid of a disinfectant, especially in healthcare, because of the odor or because of the gloves down face protection that you have to have on just to use the chemistry, they won't use it as frequently as something that seems to be very safe. So in public buildings and stuff like that, I know sometimes they don't look at what is the safety aspect of these products. But I think if you could indicate to your customers at a mall, a restaurant, or a grocery store, we're using the safest product possible, that actually helps your awareness to the public in terms that you care about the public coming into the building. Excellent. Well, I mean... You, you've scared me a little bit, but in, in just the sense of, you know, how, how can I make sure and how can people know what they need to do to properly protect themselves when they're using these various types of disinfectants? That's a great question because, you know, a lot of times we just sort of get a product handed to us and we have to use it. And I know in at least North America, we've got this global harmonized system or the women's system that we used to call it, where we have to inform people that use a product that may be hazardous of the risks. So every manufacturer, if you buy your product from a distributor, if it's not store-bought, let's put it that way, the manufacturer has to provide an updated safety data sheet or, or an SDS, as we like to call it. These MSDSs, uh, but they have to have a safety data sheet, and it has to list all of the risks of all of the products that are in there. They don't have to tell you every product because some of that is sort of the um, secret sauce kind of thing. They don't have to put that on. But they have to tell you things like, is it flammable? Do you have to wear gloves to touch the chemistry? Do you have to have eye protection on? What happens if it gets into your eye? Because there's products out there like the improved hydrogen peroxide that I actually wipe my face with it just to show people how safe this product is. But there's other disinfectants out there that on this safety data sheet will indicate may cause substantial but temporary eye damage. Right? When I read that, I'm going to put on a pair of goggles. Some will say use in a well-ventilated area which would concern me if I'm doing a small single stall toilet 
and I want to close the door so I'm not um, impeding people out in the hallway and stuff like that, I'm in a very confined space. And I don't know if I'd want to use something that says use with adequate ventilation. So you want to look at the safety data sheet. The other system that is called HMIS or the HMIS system, which is Health Material Information System. And that, again, gives you um, three numbers to work with, with the safest being 000. It's not flammable. It's not going to cause harm. You don't require anything special in terms of protective equipment. So there's ways of finding out where you run into some problem with this van is if you're using a store-bought product, consumer brands don't have to have a safety data sheet. Many companies will give that to you because we're all informed consumers. Any of us that work with chemicals would expect to find a safety data sheet. But I think the listeners have to be aware that if you're buying your disinfectant for your long-term care facility or your daycare, at your local uh, big box store, trying not to use a name here, um, you may not be able to get a safety data sheet so that you can tell your people what they should and shouldn't do with the product. Right, right. I, I can tell you we have a, a cabinet full of store-bought products here, and I, I haven't seen a safety data sheet laying around here. So good good points. Um, you know, how about you, you touched on application methods. And specifically, are, are wipes better or safer than diluted products, or are they better performance? Or, or tell me a little bit about application methods and how that how that plays into selecting a disinfectant. Yeah, that that's all part of my uh, category of ease of use. To me, if I have to pop up a lid, pull out a wipe, and apply it to a surface, that's really easy. Because as long as I'm within the expiry date on that container, right, if it says that the expiry is August of 2022, I don't have to worry about that. Manufacturers assuring me as long as you use it before that date, it will be effective. Uh, the wipe has a certain amount of solution on it as I pull it out of that little opening. Um, the only thing I can do wrong with the wipe is use one wipe for an entire room right? So it's not getting the surfaces wet back to my wet contact time. You can also find a lot of disinfectants, especially your store-bought stuff, that come in a spray format. And definitely within healthcare throughout North America, we're trying to get away from sprays. Again, if it's got that quat base to it or that sodium hypochlorite or bleach base to it, so you're not spraying the chemical around. Diluted products generally are cheaper than the ready-to-use products, right? So you're taking a concentrate, you're adding the water to it, but then you have to worry about a bunch of different things. Is it on the dilution system properly? If you actually are pouring it into a measuring cup and then pouring it into the bucket of water, is do you have to have special protective equipment on because you're working with a concentrate? If you're using a system that dilutes it, is the system working properly? I, I saw a paper from a hospital that found out that of their 35 janitor clauses that was diluting out a product, none of them were diluting it properly when they checked it. And they were starting a study. They just wanted to find out. And it was quite a surprise to them that their water pressure was affecting how well it diluted. Plus, some of your dilutable products, especially if you're um, using the quat-based products, which are still quite prevalent, they can be inactivated by using a cotton cloth. They may be inactivated by using some of the microfiber cloths that we like to clean with. Plus, you then have to have a cloth. Right. If you've diluted it, even if it's compatible with it, you then are either going to have to buy cloths to use. You're going to have to launder the cloths if they're reusable. Uh, you won't, can only use the cloth a certain length of time. You have to store it somewhere or get rid of it. Right. There's all those other factors that come into it. And sometimes you know, that will come up around cost. You know, well, it, the wipes seem really expensive. Well, that may not be so. And some of the other things with the different products that we've got, I know 
um, one of the big hits that our improved hydrogen peroxide product got is there's no smell to it. And I remember talking to a school board and they said, oh, we love walking into the school and it smells piney fresh. And I had to say to them, that doesn't mean anything. The odor may actually be hiding other issues of you not cleaning properly. So nobody really likes a chemical smell. And I know a lot of people look for that piney or floral scent. I know up here in Canada, in healthcare, we are as scent-free as possible to the point where you can't use scented hair products, you can't use scented body uh, solutions on yourself. They want to try to keep that as low as possible. The ease of use also comes back. A lot of the wipes that you can buy through a distributor are going to be a cleaner disinfectant. It's a one-step product where if the surface isn't really grossly soiled, you can get away with just wiping the surface and disinfecting it all at the same time. If you actually have to apply it to a clean surface first, and so you have to clean the surface first and then apply the disinfectant, you're actually doing a two-step process, which can be an issue. And some of the easy use also is you can use it on multiple surfaces. So you know, if I'm working on a hard, non-porous surface like a cafeteria table or a change table, that's all fine and dandy. Uh, most of your disinfectants are going to work on that. But if you've got a soft surface like curtains uh, around a patient's bed, or if you've got a soft surface like a mattress or a couch that has been soiled or contaminated, you've got to find out if your disinfectant works well on soft surfaces. And there are some products out there, most of them high, improved hydrogen peroxide, that have a soft surface sanitizing claim. There's also products out there. I know our improved hydrogen peroxide product works really well on glass. Uh, depending on what formulation you're using. Uh, so if you can use one product on all, all of these different surfaces, it helps immensely. Yeah, you, you mentioned something that really resonated and that I hear quite a bit, and that's the perception of, of clean as far as if it has a, a strong smell to it or a dark color to it, it must be a very good, very good product, which is yeah. really, it's, it's doing mat, more masking than anything, isn't it? Um, so that's that's a key point there too. So you, you've already brought up a lot of uh, key considerations and things to remember. Is there is there any other considerations that uh, are are key? And what about what about registrations? Well, that's that's the big thing. Um, you know, I could go out to my garage and throw together some solutions, and you know, have a little table out in front and say, you know, Jim's all natural disinfectant. Well. You really want to make sure if you're trying to disinfect something based on where you work, what you're trying to disinfect, you want it certified. So in the United States, your product would be submitted to the Environmental Protection Agency and have an EPA registration number on it, which means anyone can look up that EPA registration number and see what you submitted as testing to show that your product's effective. In Canada, you would get a drug identification number. For some products, you actually get a natural products number, an NPN. Uh, in Europe, it's an EN number that goes on to it, and that varies by country. But then you know that it's been certified, uh, it's been tested, someone has vetted that testing to make sure it's doing what it says. And I've seen products withdrawn from the markets where somebody else, an independent party, has retested it and said, oh, I think they've stretched the truth on this. And there are other factors. You know, it's not only the environmental certification uh, that I want to make sure it's registered. I want to make sure that the cost isn't the sole criteria. I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but you know, a lot of people look at a disinfectant wipe thing, well, that's more expensive than a dilutable. But if you take into all those other factors that I mentioned, the cloth, disposing of the cloth, or laundering the cloth, having to get the dilution, having someone go off to a closet, 
um, what you throw away out of the bucket at the end of the day, if the diluted product's only good for a day, it all adds up. So you need to factor that in. And part of that also is the stability. A lot of dilutable products are good for the day. I know in the laboratory, we made up a bleach solution every morning and threw it out every afternoon because we knew it was only good for 24 hours. There are some products out there that you dilute and they're good for a day, maybe three days. I know we've got products that in a sealed container, like a bottle with a flip top on it, it's good for 28 days after you've diluted it. So it depends on how long the product's actually going to sit on the shelf in its unopened stability. You want something that's two to three years uh, in case it does sit there that long. And we're seeing this with pandemic planning, that you want a product that's going to sit for a while. Um, and once it's diluted, how does that factor in too? That's great. You know, one thing that I haven't heard mentioned yet, and and it has to be a factor, is there are so many different surfaces and substrates out there that these these products are going to be used on. So how does that factor in? Well, it depends on what you're working on. If you never are going to have to worry about a carpet, or if you're never going to have to worry about a soft surface like a couch or curtains and that kind of stuff, it makes it easy to look at your product because most disinfectants are designed for hard, non-porous surfaces. They're not going to absorb any of the solution. As long as it stays wet for that contact time, you're fine. But if you're in a situation where you may need to be able to disinfect, say, a carpet, you're going to have to look at different products um, and what can actually work. And you're probably not going to find a product that will, quote, unquote, disinfect carpets. You may actually find a product that will sanitize them if they're cleaned properly. You may only have carpets that can be cleaned, that can't tolerate having a disinfectant. So you're going to have to work with your distributor on some of these um, variations that you can actually see on what you're trying to work on. The same is if if you have to disinfect a wet surface, say you're trying to disinfect the deck of a pool, you may need to dry that first because if you apply a disinfectant to a wet surface, you've then diluted it away from what the manufacturer tested. And I've always worried about this. If I have to go in and uh, disinfect a sink with a wipe, I don't want to over dilute the product that's actually on the wipe. Um, I may need to dry off that sink surface to get rid of some of the marks and stuff and then disinfect it. So you have to take a look at what the surfaces are and what the variety is that you have. Another, another question that I frequently get is around green products. And, oh, yeah. you know, green products, that's very, very common, more and more so uh, these days. And there's different certifications. And, and one of the specific questions I, I get is around disinfectants and can they carry, you know, like a green seal certification or any kind of green certifications? What can you tell us about green products versus natural products and, and just uh, uh, EPA registrations or DIN numbers? and if a disinfectant can also be a green. Yeah, there are a few disinfectants out there. I know we have a version of uh, one of our products in Canada. Um, it's not available in the United States, unfortunately, but it does have the Eco logo on it. And that's sort of a certification that the packaging, the product, how it's manufactured, the disposal of it, have all been reviewed and are um, friendly to our environment. Uh, the green seal and the safer choice it used to be called Designs for the Environment, that actually comes from the EPA, looks at all of these different factors around all of that, the manufacturing, how you get your raw products, and you know, basically from cradle to grave is one way of looking at it. Um, and it shows you that the manufacturer is taking some time to get the product put together. 
I, you know, I, I'm not going to not buy a product, but I can tell you, if I see an Eco Logo product um, that I'm actually going to purchase, I know it's gone through some testing. The manufacturer's taken the time. Now, in terms of natural products, I know so many times people say to me, well, I just use vinegar at home. And I have to break it to them that, you know, vinegar is not really that effective of a disinfectant. It's not even that good of a cleaner. I know it used to take fingerprints off of my stainless steel in my fast food restaurant I worked at centuries ago. And that's what we used it for. Um, and I've seen it in hospitals where I've had to say that is not a disinfectant. Well, the patient is scent sensitive. And I said, well, then let's get something that is more like an eco logo, um, you know, that's got some testing done to show that there's not a lot of scent coming off of it. And again, our improved hydrogen peroxide products, I used to have to bring into my last hospital for those people that had environmental scent sensitivities. And they were fine with our product. Whereas anything that has that odor to it can put people right over the edge. So a lot of natural claims are made and a lot of stuff is out there. But again, if it's not registered as a disinfectant, I would be so hesitant to use it if you're trying to protect people from bacteria or viruses. Okay, I got to be honest, Jim. My, uh, my brain's about to explode. So what, what I'd really like you to do, if you could, is I'm just going to give you a scenario and the scenario is is that I'm looking for a disinfectant cleaner that I'm going to use in either a school environment or an office building. And I'm just going to be cleaning and disinfecting with this product um, surfaces such as high, high touch or high frequency surfaces or restrooms. What, even if you were to give me a good and a best, recommendation what what kind of product would you recommend so a good product for that kind of a scenario is something that's got a fairly broad spectrum it'll kill all the bacteria that we worry about and they come in sort of two groups of gram negative gram positive but don't worry about that and it's going to take care of a lot of the uh, respiratory viruses that we tend to see get spread around that's a good disinfectant but to me the best disinfectant in a school setting to start would be something that's going to take care of those outbreak kind of viruses. So the one that causes the vomiting and diarrhea, uh, some people call it stomach flu, and I hate the expression, is norovirus, or the norwalk virus is its old name. But it rips through places because it's hugely contagious, and it's really hard to kill. So I like seeing on my disinfectant that's used in a school, that's used in an area where you may have someone go to the restroom to be unwell with diarrhea and vomiting. I want to see on that label those hard-to-kill viruses like norovirus or rhinovirus. And that's the other virus I worry about more so in school. I want to make sure that when coughs and colds are going through a school, that you're using a product that's going to kill all respiratory pathogens. You know, we're now sitting here worrying about coronavirus. You've heard about influenza. We've been worrying about that for a long time. Those are really easy to kill viruses. It's rhinovirus that's the one that always scares me. That enterovirus that you used to hear about with the different D numbers, enterovirus D82 or D67 or all the different numbers like that, that's a really hard to kill virus. Uh, and if it's got into a school and causing problems and it's not on your label, then you're going to be in some trouble with it for sure. Okay. Great. So if you could do, if you could do me one more favor, if you could just summarize once again for us what those five key criteria were uh, when selecting a disinfectant, I think that'll be a good wrap up for us. Sure. So what I'm look, always looking at is, you know, I have to step back and look at what I'm trying to kill. 
Uh, so that scenario is one. I'm going to want to look at the killed claims of this disinfectant, and is it going to take care of the microorganisms that I'm most worried about? And I want to make sure the contact time is reasonable. To me, anything over two to three minutes, you're going to have to reapply it. I don't care what the product is, how it comes. If it's more than two or three minutes, so ideally, I'm going to look for the shortest contact time that's going to take care of those, and I want the safest product possible. If my people that are using the wipe are afraid of it, or if I say to someone, you can't touch that chemistry, you can't use that pop-up wipe unless you put a glove on because of the chemistry, that's worrisome to me. You know, in healthcare, we tell everyone to put a glove on because they're, you know, we know there's lots of microorganisms and you don't want to get the microorganisms on your skin. But there are chemistries out there that you don't need to have that. So if I can find something that's going to kill my bugs in a reasonable one-minute contact time that I really don't have to have gloves on for that comes in a pop-up wipe, that's the product that's going to go to the top of my list. And then the other factors that could come into that, because that's the fifth thing I'm looking at, right? Because I've got the safety, contact time, kill claims. It's really easy to use because it comes in a white, um, you know, and if it came in a spray bottle too, or if I could dilute it, that's all good. But I might lose some of the other factors that I've talked about. And you want to make sure that you've got that good support of the manufacturer. You know, a lot of companies will come in and do training of the cleaning staff. Uh, if you switch to their products. And that's something important to me. You want to make sure that that kind of a factor is there, um, that it's taking care of all the issues that I've talked about. So the five things, kill claims, contact time, safety, ease of use, and those other smaller factors that should factor into it. Outstanding. Well, this has been just fantastic information. I really appreciate your time and, and being with us today, Jim. Uh, wish you all the best. Stay safe. And for those of you listening, if you have any questions, um, you can click on the link here and you'll be able to type in your questions and, and uh, we'll submit those and we'll be able to get back to you with any answers. Please be sure to st stay tuned and tune into our other uh, podcasts in this series. Thanks for joining us.